Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, today we are going to continue with our study on karma, intentional becoming, and rebirth. And so far, we have had some excellent teachings by our, our staff here, John Haspel, Ron Manders, Matt Branham, Jennifer Size, and soon-to-be David, uh, following this teaching. And the structure of this study has sort of led us to this point. We've, we've In the first class, we talked about the Bhava Sutta, which is... What, what we are becoming, becoming is actually clarified for us. Class two, we talked about the Loka Sutta and subduing our passions. Class three, we learned about karma and sort of the fuel for karma. And today we're going to learn about the Salata Sutta. And overall, this is really describing the personal process um, and, and sort of the emotion we put into craving and, and how we establish five clinging aggregates. And I think you'll see that throughout here. Uh, it definitely describes sort of our personal contribution to stress and suffering. And just to clarify, all of the suttas that we read and refer to here at Crossover Meditation Center are restored to their original context of dependent origination and four noble truths by John Haspel from the Pali Canon and the book of the Samyutta Nikaya. The Salata Sutta, the two arrows. And I'll just read John's introduction. In the Salata Sutta, a question is put to the Buddha as to what is the distinguishing factor between a well-instructed and well-informed Dhamma practitioner and those who have no understanding of Four Noble Truths. The Buddha responds to the question. Friends, listen and pay close attention An ordinary, uninformed person feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, and neutral feelings. One well-informed of the Four Noble Truths also feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, and neutral feelings. The Buddha's words. When through the sixth sense base, an uninformed person experiences a feeling of pain, they are sorrowful. They grieve, they become distraught and irate. The uninformed feels two pains, the physical pain of the experience and the mental pain caused by the creation, excuse me, by the reaction arising from clinging to wrong views. Wrong views, let's just clarify, are views ignorant of four noble truths. This would be like being hit with an arrow, and then, by request, being hit again with another arrow. The Buddha's words. As the person is experiencing pain, pain resistance occurs, leading to resistance obsession. As the person experiences pain, delight in sensual pleasure occurs. 
Reaction brings obsession as the uninformed does not understand what is actually present. What is actually present is the origination, the allure, the drawback, and the passing away of feeling. As the uninformed does not understand the origination, the allure, the drawback, and the passing away of the feeling, any ignorance obsession about this feeling of pain, pleasure, or neither pleasure nor pain overcomes and obsesses them. So just let me go back to some of John's words here. The Buddha is describing how self-referential reaction to impersonal and ordinary events reinforces ignorant views of Four Noble Truths. When we have ignorance, we can only develop more ignorance, or when ignorance is present, ignorance will continue. That's sort of what that's saying. This is described uh, previously in the Nagara Sutta as a feedback loop. When we have an ignorant view of self, it manifests from ignorance as a requisite condition come fabrications. And through our fabrications, which are wrong views of self, we essentially have no other reference point. We are stuck in a feedback loop of name and form. Everything that is perceived through the world is perceived through our six senses, informed by ignorance, and we create a stressful experience because we simply don't have a way out of it. When we begin to understand four noble truths, we're able to become present with our life as life occurs and see ordinary and impersonal events arise and pass away on their own. Buddha continues, sensing pleasure or pain or neither pleasure nor pain, the uninformed joins with it. The uninformed is joined to birth, aging, sickness, death, and joined with sorrows, grief, pain, and despair. Through reaction to the experience, the uninformed joins and furthers their confusion and suffering. The well-informed person, excuse me, the well-informed person, when stress arises, has no resistance. With no resistance, no resistance obsession is formed. They feel one pain, physical, but not mental just as if they were shot with an arrow, but not another. They would feel only one pain, the physical pain. Buddha continues, with no delight in sensual pleasure, no pleasure obsession occurs. The well-informed person understands what is actually present and understands its origination, its allure, its drawbacks, and its passing away. They do not become sorrowful, regretful, or distraught. They remain disjoined from pleasure and pain. The well-instructed person understanding stress does not generate a mental reaction to pain, pleasure, or neither pleasure nor pain. This is the distinction between those uninformed and those well-informed of the Four Noble Truths. A well-instructed person who has developed the heartwood of the Dhamma understands the arising and passing away of all phenomena. Craving and aversion no longer distract the mind or continue ignorance. A 
approval and rejection are dismissed, no longer in existence. Now, no dust remains or sorrow or regret either. For those that understand the Dhamma, they have left behind, left, excuse me, left behind becoming further ignorant and have arrived at the far shore in context of awakening. That's the end of the sutta. This sutta, as I said, really narrows in on what we've been building on here for the past few weeks. Last year, last week, excuse me, in the Karma Sutta or the Kama Sutta, the Buddha described what past karma is, and that's the sixth sense base or phenomenon interpreted by the sixth sense base. And as we've heard before, that the personal experience of suffering is the Buddha describes as five clinging aggregates. That's essentially what that's describing. Past karma is interpreting worldly events through a personal view and a wrong view of four noble truths. If you notice, or if you ever from personal experience, stressful experiences always really start with, with one thing. They start with I. They start from a point of view of I. We, we look for reference, something to refer back to. We didn't have a way to understand ourselves as we really are in reality. As Teacher Matt has said a few weeks ago in, in previous teachings on the Buddha. What's the name of the Sutta? Dr. Babanga Sutta, excuse me. The Buddha describes a person as having six properties. With ignorance of Four Noble Truths clouding our view, we don't have that understanding. We simply have one property, I, me, and we do our best to continue that and personalize everything that we interpret that comes through our sixth sense base. Contact. From contact is where we crave. That's a very important point of the Paticca Samapada Vibhanga Sutta. In the links of dependent origination, Craving from contact is how we crave. The Buddha continues last week with our study on karma that current karma is experienced as fabrications. Fabrications, as we've said, are wrong views of self. That's a personal view of the world, worldly experience, which we found is stressful because it's stressful because we experience greed, aversion, and deluded, deluded thinking. We, we don't have a way out of this loop. The Buddha continues last week in our study as well that the cessation of karma is the, is the relinquishment of wrong views. We relinquish our fabrications. We have understanding of Four Noble Truths now. We understand stress. We understand the origination of stress. We've experienced the cessation of stress and now have a path to do that. So when we're in the world, as 
practitioners, how do we go about our, our lives moment to moment without personalizing things? How, how can we take ourselves out of that habit? How can we break that feedback loop? Does anybody have an idea on that from prior teachings or John of meditation? Yes. Yes. And practicing jhana meditation provides concentration or, or develops concentration so that when we're in the world, we can notice the quality of our mind. We can refer back to four foundations of mindfulness. When we're able to notice the quality of our mind, we can further utilize our concentration to see where we're craving and personalizing things that are occurring. Teacher Matt is probably, he's known for a lot of things, but thus a lot of us who know him well through the Sangha know that one of the teachings that he gives often is from the Anatta Lakana Sutta. And, and these words, you can almost hear him saying them. When we find ourselves in the world and we, we are experiencing stressful situations, we do return to our breath, we rely on our four foundations of mindfulness, we go further and really root out the essence of craving. And how do we do that? We say, this is not me. This is not mine. It's not who I am. This is not myself. That takes out our personal contribution to suffering. We experience one pain, physical pain, living a human life, being born in an environment overruled by impermanence. But we don't have the extra pain of anguish, of affliction, of craving. It's an extra pain that until we're able to calm our mind a little bit, we can't really see. We can't ever see this process occurring. We think it's normal. We just think that you're supposed to go through life and every sentence is supposed to start with I. We just don't know a way out. We have no other way. We have six senses that plug right into our mind and until until we ask enough questions or really have enough enough of this suffering or, or want to know more, as the Buddha said here, if we have a, a speck of dust in our eyes, that can lead us to the Dhamma. Teacher David and I were talking earlier, this sutta really brings you to the moment of truth. This is this is you can be brought here with a speck of dust in your eyes, but when you experience cessation you now know better. You, you know that ultimately you are responsible for stressful experience or a stressful moment-to-moment life. The stress will still be there, the physical part. You know, your knee might hurt or you might slip on a puddle or slip on some ice, what, what have you. You know, stresses of the world will occur. And that will continue. But as Dhamma practitioners... What we can embody is wise restraint when we come into contact with the world through our six senses. We can refer back to our teachings from the Sangha and from the Buddha, Yanata Lakana Sutta. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not who I am. This is not myself. And further, there's another sort of teasing here that that as, as we develop our concentration, That's what we're looking for. We're looking for this arising and passing away, a phenomenon on their own, independent. 
the same way our fabrications arise and pass away, our feelings and thoughts arise and pass away. We do that in jhana. And there's no reason why after we stick with this and practice, develop our practice that we can't do that in the world. So I think that's where I'm going to leave it. So does anyone have any specific questions or points in the Sangha that they might, or excuse me, in the Sutta that they might want to go back to, or is there anything that was misleading or confusing that, that I could do a better job of cleaning up? There was a little bit of um, language the Buddha sort of, you know, makes you stay with them. You, you know, you have to listen to some repetition here, but there's really a few, uh, you know, a few real great lines in this one. I think you, you all could, uh, could say that. And this is a Sutta that all of us here at the Sangha have, have, you know, had a real intimate, really intimate experience with. So it's, it's really nice to see this um, presented in this context and with the structure. So um, I, I thought Kevin, it was interesting that there was two lines, delight and sensual pleasure occurs. And there was two different parentheticals, whether, whether it was or it wasn't delighting it or not delighting. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, the Buddha does a really good job of, of sort of showing you how, like we said, the world is a flame and chasing your passions can really create a mental process. Delight obsession can create these things, these, these sort of unknown mental mechanics that, that we, we aren't aware of until we develop some sense of calm and, and can, can, can rein it in a little bit. Wow. Yeah, good point. Thank you. So let's go around the room and who do we want to call on first? Well, John Haspel's in the room, so let's call on him. Good evening, everyone. Happy holidays. Uh, Kevin, that was an excellent job. Um, the connection you made between uh, this sutta, uh, the Nagara Sutta, and the elements of dependent origination that were relevant was really excellent. It was outstanding. Um, it, this sutta points to the to the the a key of the Dhamma, and it's the the immediacy of the Dhamma. What am I doing right now? Am I am I engaged in ongoing eye making because I'm taking what's occurring personally? Or have, have I developed a Dhamma to the point where I can recognize when I'm doing that and simply abandon it? And so then in that moment, I'm like we talked about last week and what karma is, in this moment, I'm either becoming further ignorant or I'm becoming awakened. And this sutta points exactly to how we do that, how we can um, establish the foundation for the cessation of that, which is concentration and, and refined mindfulness and to know really knowing what we're doing within this framework and you really you explained it well um it just it, outside of this class the last email i sent i know i said this a little earlier i uh, had um the links weren't correct in the uh, reservation and registration forms they will be by this weekend and anybody that wants to attend please uh, let us know and uh, happy holidays, everyone. Well, there's no class uh, Christmas Day, but we'll be back on Tuesday with David. So, thanks, Kevin. Thank you, John. Gene, my friend, how are you? 
Hi, Kevin. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Well, um, I just was reminded with the sutta that I am responsible for the stress in my life, and I'm the only one that can, you know, relieve that stress and through the Dharma. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jane. Brian, my friend, how are you? How are you, Kevin? Thank you. This is great. Um, yeah, similar to Jane, and just I love this analogy with the, the two arrows. And Lord, I've shot myself with a bunch of arrows my entire life, right? And just now having that that concentration to be to be able to pause and just yeah, it's it's. Do you want to create the next mental link? And, and go through some more suffering. And it's just like, no, nah, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. And it's, right, it's just profoundly freeing. So it's great. Thank you so much for this. Absolutely. Yeah. You're just, you're highlighting, you know, what it is, what it means to be wisely restrained at the point of contact. It's, it's, it's a pretty nice place to be. <laughs> have a little space there. <laughs> Hello, my friend, Shriyas. How are you? I uh, haven't met you directly, but if you'd like to contribute uh, or, or if you'd like to say something, we can. Uh, you can unmute yourself if you'd like. So thank you, and it's nice to see you all. Uh, as I was reflecting on this um, sutta uh, prior to the uh, meeting tonight, and it's, it's so interesting to me, you know how. Uh, clinging to um, sensual desires, we always think of very pleasurable things and nice things and pleasant things, but also um, not wanting to have suffering in one's life is really the other half of the equation, which is so fundamental to actually true liberation is that aversion to suffering. And I think that... um, as I go continue in my practice and uh, as I deepen my understanding of the Buddha's teachings, I think it's that second half of the equation which we have to really develop the concentrated, refined mindfulness that will enable us to say, oh my gosh, this subtle self-referential, I don't want this, which is another form actually of clinging and as well of, uh, of uh, if I may be wrong, but, you know, probably the most subtle form of clinging um, yeah. self. So that's one aspect. Oh, did you want... No, no, no. I, I didn't mean oh. to interrupt you. Okay. And then the other thing, I just uh, had a question, which um, uh, it's nice. I'm glad that John is here too, um, uh, as well as yourself, Kevin. And... Um, when one is experiencing um, very uh, negative mind states, in that situation, what is the second arrow? And because uh, as someone who's had lifelong depression in my life, it's been tremendously hard to sometimes liberate myself in that state. So and there's a great deal of suffering. But what is the second arrow in this model that, you know, uh, I don't know if that's a valid yeah. question or not, but um, anyway, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Yeah. 
No, that's that's brilliant insight, um, particularly into sort of aversion about the sort of way that the mind works itself up or these strategies that are very intricate. You use the word subtle that a lot of times we don't realize we're even doing, you know, this sort of, I I, I may be, I'll take a stab at your question. We have another in the room that may want to answer it, but you know, I would contend that the second arrow would be self-loathing or, or a form of, a form of greed or a version of diluted thinking in that sense. Um, but maybe John would like to, to flush that out. I think he had his hand up, but really appreciate that insight. Um, yeah. Brilliant into the sort of area the Buddha says, you know, the pleasure side, we, we, we can, we, you know, we sort of understand that about this non-pleasure side and sort of how we uh, crave and cling to those, uh, those feelings and thoughts. Really, really nice insight, John. Yeah. I, I would say the same thing, Shay, that was, um, what you're pointing to is the profound understanding of the first noble truth. As a consequence of having a human life, suffering occurs. And so we learn to not take it personally. It's, it's just here. And it's when we have that greed and aversion, again, two sides of the same coin, when I'm averse to suffering, what I'm saying is I don't want to live my human life because it's what occurs. And the other part of that, you mentioned depression, um, the answer is still the same, but it's much more difficult in situations like that. In other words, when you're stuck in depression, it's very, very difficult to not take it personally. But the practice is still the same. In other words, we keep coming back to jhana meditation, keep reclaiming our mind, even in that situation. And depression and anxiety really is an extreme level of uh, self-reference, isn't it? You could say it's it's... It, it, well, it, it is an, it's the extreme human experience of that. So the resolution is the same, but that's not to say it's easy. You know, and everybody has their own difficulties that we have to deal with in life. Uh, if if uh, life was fair, there'd be no, the Dhamma wouldn't make any sense, would it? But unfairness uh, relates to uh, the impermanence and the continuity of stress and suffering that we maintain through that second arrow, through judging ourselves. So we work our way through depression in the same manner by not taking even that personally and seeing it as just a, it's just a temporary or impermanent human condition. Yeah. I think that's the way I began to um, uh, understand this in terms of um, it's a negative mind state that is impermanent and arises... Right. Some, but sometimes when it lasts for uh, several months or, you know, a long time, then uh, one can sort of lose uh, that sense of impermanence. And I think that's what's so challenging. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> continuity obscures impermanence and, and continuity becomes useful for those of us that are trying to obscure that and not really want to see it. And it becomes that self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? And so a... Um, a mental disease that that may be permanent becomes entrenched because of our relationship with it. We self-identify with it. But again, it's easy to explain that. Anybody that suffered depression knows that you self-identify with it. So it's easy to say and easy to see, but it's very, very difficult to let go of. You know, and again, this is something that the brilliance of Siddhartha Gautama 
realizing this process 2,600 years ago is still astonishing to me, that he was able to see the intricacies of the human mind and how it clings to things that, are, that just continue suffering. But he also recognized the way out. Profound concentration through jhana meditation and a really refined way, refined mindfulness of looking at ourselves. That's all I have. Sorry, Kevin. I think Matt wanted to add uh, something on that. Hey, Shay, uh, really great question. And especially um, asking, you know, what, what would the second arrow be there? And I really love what John said. Um, so I'm just going to maybe piggyback on that a little bit. Um, I think in that case, the second arrow is any movement towards fixing, solving, changing, or getting rid of what's occurring. You know, so that's the second arrow is, oh, I, I'm noticing the quality of my mind as depressed or anxious. The second arrow is stuck in, oh, I've got to get rid of it. I've got to fix it, solve it, change it, get rid of it. Yes. So that when we recognize the quality of our mind as depressed or anxious, we recognize that the quality of our mind is depressed or anxious. The law of impermanence says this is temporary. So when I recognize the quality of my mind as not being depressed or not being anxious, I acknowledge that it's not depressed or not anxious. That also belongs to impermanence. So I hope that is helpful. Yes. And all aspects that Matt just talked about are just being a human being. You know, and then we, we just fall into degrees, but, you know... That was outstanding, Matt. Thank you. Yes. Um, the, the aversion itself is actually the second arrow because yep. that, that's the cause of the, the, the stress that follows. Directly. Yes. As you said, it's... Wanting it to be different. It's yeah. mechanics. Yes. You know, he, he's talking about the, the, the mechanics of feeling here. Yes. The mechanics of, of aversion. And it's, it, it's laid out just brilliantly. Yes. And then, you know, we have the the, the eightfold path to, you know, not stick that second one in again. Yes, brilliant. Um, you know, I think that almost what we've found here is that that second arrow could almost be a very nuanced, very, very subtle, as we've used. It's, it's, an, it's a term, almost a form of distraction, right? We have to keep, yeah. we have a mind state of depression, is coming and going. We actually have to agitate it again or, or keep it up in the air. We have to keep it aloft. So there's something, Matt used the word um, agitate or a word like that. We, we have a sort of subtle need to, to go to it or fix it or keep asking questions about it. And that subtle, very subtle sort of distraction is what Matt was sort of hitting on as opposed to the moment have a feeling not something I particularly enjoy it's a feeling it's, you know it's still here but wait a minute there's something I can well now I'm trying to go away from the feeling or I'm trying to so there's a it's very subtle and, and that's a great question really really um, helpful how everybody's sort of gotten to that very very 
very, very fine distractions. So maybe that's the second arrow, perhaps. You know, we become conditioned through sensual desire to seek only one direction in our life, only one experience. And that's different for most people, but it's what me as an individual describes that would describe as pleasurable or, or bringing me some type of safety. And anything else is unacceptable. And the Buddha says, wake up. Suffering occurs as a consequence of having a human life. It's not, it's not all a bowl of cherries. And so when I get a nice big bowl of cherries, I got to learn to not take that too personally, that I got more cherries than you. But when all I got is a bowl of pits, I don't take that personally either. It's right. simply what's occurring in this moment. But to do, what, to do what Shay is saying, to do it when all you got is a bowl of pits, I think is sometimes a little bit more difficult when you got a big bowl of cherries. But, they, but both situations... When I take it, when I taking it personally, are distracting, and that's such you really touched on that you and Ram, you know, yes, it, it's all a big distraction. That's how we keep, that's how it keeps going, and that's why we place so yes. much value on this. That's why we become conditioned to think yes. in this way, to think in a way that is self, self defeating in the, in the in the grand cosmic sense, if you will, self defeating. Yes, yes, I think we've done a good job of sort of where this sutta, what a point it makes. We join with our suffering. This is sort of the process we've just described on how we do that. So yeah. really, really great insight. Thank you, Shay, for that brilliant question. Uh, I think that, oh, Mary. Hi, Mary. Hello. Hello. Hi, so, um, yes, that was a brilliant question and really good discussion there. Um, beneficial to everyone. Um, I like how this is a moment of truth, as many of the sutras are. Um, I like knowing that cessation is up to us. It's very empowering, um, even if sometimes it feels like a lot. Um, The responsibility to say, what am I doing right now, is very much about self-accountability. And can I recognize that? And can I sever the burden, my words, can I sever the burden of what I'm of that second arrow or what I am carrying? Um, I think it was John who said concentration is the foundation and it truly is the practice, the concentration that you can summon in the moment only comes from the rigor of your practice. Um, I think things are subtle and I know sometimes we get lost in arguing about words and all of that, and we have to be very careful about that. Um, But I think aversion can also mean, can show up as resistance, like to other people, that they experience, you know, maybe your aversion or your restraint or your, you know, trying to manage uh, through the difficulty of the day, you know, can also appear as uh, resistance and um, you know that that's a subtle thing that I think is important um, and really just the reminder it's so powerful when you think about how continuity obscures impermanence you know that's why people including ourselves can go around this life uh, doing what we're doing and not even know that were the immediate cause of our own suffering is because we're, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, right? And um, 
so I, I think it's always good to hear that reminder about continuity obscures uh, impermanence. So thank you for the teaching, Kevin. Good to see you and great job. You. I think you and the Sangha have almost, uh, John, I don't want to trump your continuity uh, impermanence. Uh, it's almost that we have a new one. Continuity obscures karma. <laughs> it's almost, yeah. we're almost, uh, you know, that's kind of what we're shining it up on right yeah. now. It's, it's just really great to see this all uh, coming together as this study is. So, wow. Great job, everybody. Yeah. Now, here's a new, uh, check this out. Everybody's going to like this. We're going to do a new one. Uh-oh. Well, no, we're okay. We're not we're still okay. This is the panorama. Can you see everybody? Yes. Yeah, that's better. Hi, right. everybody. All right. <laughs> We're going around the room. Right. Laura. Laura? Hi, is, that, is that you? <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, explaining all of this and everyone in the room. And um, yeah, thanks a lot to well, all of you, and especially Shay, because I, I was thinking the same thing. Um, several of my family members and myself like it's difficult to deal with physical pain but mental like anxiety and depression are very difficult and I know you were saying that um, uh, when you're talking about the two arrows Kevin and getting into how we can avoid that second arrow I really liked and it clicked when you said we can kind of just take out that factor I guess of self-loathing sometimes I just don't know what to say to comfort my my dad like when someone tells you like um they're so depressed and it's so prolonged that they actually talk about like you know wanting to end their life it's it's really uh difficult but like you said we can just i know that i don't it's i can't go around like preaching this what we're learning in class to others like the illumination comes within myself and then be an example i guess to others without preaching about it but um i guess like you were saying we can just take out that factor of self-loathing and someone who experiences prolonged anxiety or depression or, or even like john says here just practice in jhana meditation wholeheartedly you know without any unrealistic expectations we can just take out that like Matt always says like take away the that narrative like that impulse to like create this story about these feelings we're having but yeah it's difficult with depression and anxiety but the discussion that happened was uh very helpful so thank you Kevin can I can I can I yes. another two cents in because it's important, I think. Yeah. Laura, thank you so much for your honesty. Um, yes. The most important thing we can do for someone like that, uh, meaning someone who, who's really caught up in a, um, a mental disease such as depression or anxiety or fear, um, is, to be, is to be just what you're describing, Laura, to be mindfully present with them without giving off the vibe that you need to fix them or that they need to be fixed because that just reinforces their own self-loathing, doesn't it? But we learn through the Dhamma to just be mindfully present with someone without anything to push off against and we're not pushing anything. Uh, and that that allows the uh, the person a new space to, in which to really change their mind. It doesn't always work, but at least it'll be a comfort to them as opposed to 
putting out that vibe that there's something wrong with you, you know? And I, it sounds like you really understand that. So thank you. Thank you, John. Hey. <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. Brent? Uh, good to be here. Thanks for your teaching, Kevin. Thank you. You made it sound so easy. Um, yeah, I wish. No, <laughs> uh, it was very concise, and uh, it was, you know, how you how you put it in the play was, uh, was really, it was really good to hear. Um, and it just uh, reminds me that, you know, prolonged, Shane was saying, though, prolonged depression, prolonged stress makes me start to then, <clears throat> you know, uh, pick up, you know, take things personally. And that's what gets me. And uh, I'm really, I'm like falling back, you know, I'm backpedaling a little bit because I've been stressed for a long time. And then I start to, you know, take these things personally and then you know, everything personally, I guess. And then not be able to come back to my breath because my practice is kind of faded or just, just, it's just thinned out. Uh, and I need a break, I guess. Um, so the suit was really poignant tonight. And, uh, you, you, you know, I think you broke it down in a concise way that, uh, I can reflect back and, you know, just, uh, you know, realize that, you know, it is just coming back to your breath, uh, realizing that things are permanent and that you have to keep on, you have to keep on doing it. Um, and not take things personally. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Say hello. (laughs) On camera. It's a, um, this is really the, uh, Mechanics of becoming. That's that's what we're going for. Uh, and he you know, ends the suitor with, they have left behind becoming. Uh, so it, 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 if you want to know how, you know, how becoming really works, you know, especially in the, the uninstructed mind, um, this suitor will tell you that the, the, the little micro steps that you take every second of the day. Anytime something comes up that you like or dislike and more likely dislike, um, here here's your becoming, you know, going off somewhere else. Mm. About how delusion plays into this and how you can some people take the second arrow as motivation. And they may realize success and and some level of happiness, but it's short term happiness. It's lesser happiness. So it's just interesting how the richest, most successful people are driven by that motivation to uh, overcome, like that second arrow. But in the end, they're just experiencing that same duke of that the poorest person with nothing experiences. Chairman of the board, (laughs) Matthew Brennan. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Excellent. Thank you, Sandra. Excellent. Um, 
thank you, John, for for putting this sutta in the context of becoming. We, we've done this for so long, and and this this has been a sutta that each of us in the sangha, I, I know definitely myself, and 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 I say each of us in the sangha have used the imagery of this sutta for themselves and for their friends and for their family. This is, this is such an accessible and readily available sutta um, on how things come to be and our contribution to that. And uh, it's just really great to have it in this context and have it in this structured study. So thank you, John. Thank you, Sangha. Thank you, Matt. All right. Great job, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so that man. Do you have any other questions? Go ahead. Yes. I just add something that came up for me while you were all talking. The other thing that also uh, arose as I was contemplating this, um, you know, is that we can't do this work for someone else. Right. And that, I think, you know, um, I'm going through a major kind of, um, you know, emotional turmoil because my mother is going becoming demented now. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been engulfed by the sadness that experiencing what I perceive as her sadness. And that was a part of what has been feeding into this very uh, negative uh, mind state. And then today, um, you know, they thought she was going to die last night um, or she was really deteriorating. So it was very difficult. And I was thinking about why is she suffering so much? Why is, you know, why couldn't I do this? Why couldn't I do that? And in the end, really, I think that's also such a fundamental piece of this whole puzzle that it's our own responsibility. We are all, you know, individually on this path and ultimately no one, can really um, um, either, uh, you know, except perhaps each of us can do it through the Dhamma, but no one else can do that work for us as we um, go through this life, which is, uh, you know, filled with suffering, sadly. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you very much for your your contributions tonight, Shay. you know, we, we really are uh, glad to have you here. You know, it's, I have, it's the first time I've met you, but thank you. I heard you online uh, a couple of weeks ago. So please uh, love to keep seeing you show up. It's, it's great to have you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and Shay, would you stay on after class? I just want to yeah. have a few words with you. Sure. My mom passed from dementia and, and, you know, just to recount with you what that was like, I think you might find it helpful. Thank you. My thank pleasure. You. All right. Well, that brings us to the greatest hits of the Karnia Meta Sutta. <laughs> Everybody, find your relaxed meditation posture. And these are the Karnia Meta Sutta words as restored by our friends in London. I don't remember their sangha name, but thank you to them. Amaravati. Thank you. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal frugal in their ways. 
peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life or her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again to this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Thank you, Saga. Happy holidays. Thank you, Shay. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. Happy holidays. See you guys. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.